Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. You know what that sounds like to me? What's it sound like? It's Wes. Sounds like any artist out there that want to be an artist, want to stay a star and don't have to worry about the executive producer being all in the videos, all in the records dancing. Come to death row. That's what that sounds like to me. And Walker. Uh, I take it by your blank expression. You might not be very familiar with that quote. Wes, I'm not going to lie to you. I have no clue what you're talking about. It's one of the most <laughs> famous in your hip-hop head. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. I even knew uh, that. I'm, I'm sure you did. <laughs> The Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep those texts coming on the FanDuel text line 704-570-9610. Hit us up on those socials for all of the behind-the-scenes actions. You can see your boys and all the antics at Walker Mail, at West Bryan underscore 72, at HTB underscore Josh, at WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram, and most importantly, at Wes and Walker on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, man. But hit that follow button. Keep our followers going up. All right? Do that for us, and uh, it'll be greatly appreciated. And now it is time to go to the campus. Kona, let's get to it. All right? Big weekend in basketball for many teams around the area. We'll start in Chapel Hill, where North Carolina scored 90 or more points for the seventh time this season. 20th time under Hubert Davis. They're 7-0 this season, 19-1 under Davis when scoring 90 or more points. They scored 54 points in the paint. They held Virginia Tech to 41, actually 42% from the floor. A measly 27% from three. Mondo had 25 points, 12 boards on the night. 81st career double-double. And the Heels get the win. Also, Armando. I knew that was coming. Also, uh, Harrison Ingram, 12 points, 17 rebounds, ninth double-double of the season, third in his last five games. They're 8-1 and one when Ingram has a double-double. So how do we feel about Carolina's performance? Uh, I'll start. I think that they came out and did what they needed to do. They got a big win uh, at home over Virginia Tech. A little bit of reassurance. Not a ton, but I think enough reassurance as they come out and hang 96 points on the Hokies. They needed a comfortable win and to walk away with this one with a 15-point victory. I think that is a big deal for this team. I mean, to have a double-digit lead, even late, and they would keep it around 10 for a lot of that second half, but then Carolina able to extend that lead as we got close closer and closer to game time. I think Carolina needed that type of performance. And I told you this too, Wes, offensively is the place on the floor I was actually most worried about. And I know a lot had been made about their defensive effort, lack thereof, or just lack of defensive execution. But against Syracuse, that made people start talking to that about that a lot more. Man, I don't know what you do entirely different to limit some of those long mid-rangers that just kept dropping for the Orange by their two best players. They held Virginia Tech to 81. 
It's not the greatest defensive performance, but man, at least North Carolina showed you, oh, we can go score again. Like, we can go ahead and take care of this offensively. And Armando Bacai had a big old night with his 25-point, 12-rebound performance. Nice to see him play well again. Pretty, what were your thoughts on your boys' performance? I, I mean, I think the evidence is clear when you establish Armando Bacot from the onset. Good things happen for, for this team. Virginia Tech had no answer inside. He got every big man in foul trouble. He passed out of the double teams. Um, you were getting, you know, Cormac Ryan was getting open three-pointers, not because they were settling for threes, but because they were putting the ball inside first. And so it was the type of win they needed going into the week off before this all-important game at Virginia, a place they haven't won since I was in high school. All right. I, my bad. Oh, go ahead. I have an impromptu Carolina basketball question for the class. I saw Carolina basketball tweet this out, a graphic with Hubert Davis, and it says, Hubert Davis now has his third straight season with 20-plus wins, and it's catching some flack because it's North Carolina basketball. A lot of fans don't consider 20-plus wins. How dare you put such a low goal on us? An accomplishment, and I've been looking at some of the other years where Carolina has struggled, and yeah, yeah, you were 18 and 11 three years ago. You were 14 and 19, 2019, 2020. Yeah, the eight-win season forever ago, and then a couple of 19 victory seasons to boot. It does feel like that's a low bar, is 20 wins, but it also feels just like, all right, Hubert Davis got three in a row. Maybe we acknowledge it. We don't have to put a ton of attention on it, but we'll put out a nice little graphic, and then we'll move on. I didn't see so much the harm in that. Did you feel that, Wes? Or uh, I mean, like schools are always going to acknowledge any accomplishment on social media. So, no, I mean, I didn't see a big problem with it. Dean Smith and Roy Williams didn't win 20 games their first three years, and they're two of the best four coaches in the history of the sport. So to me, it is significant because it's it's hard to win 20 games three straight years because when two when your two best coaches didn't do it, no, I think it's significant and worth pointing out. All right, I wanted to see if everybody appreciated the graphic. I think it's safe. Give me the safe call. All right, moving on to the Duke Blue Devils. They got a victory over Florida State. It was their 100th game when playing as the number nine team in the country. They're now 79-21 and 21 in such games. They shot 62.5% from beyond the arc. I mean, it was absolutely insane. Jared McCain, welcome to the party. He's been playing well all season, though. 35 points on 12 of 20 shooting, including making eight straight shots to start the game. He went 72% behind the arc, 73% if you really want to round up. His 35 total points match Zion Williamson for the most points by a freshman in program history and represents the most points scored by a freshman uh, in a road game. So you like the way Duke is bouncing back right now. It feels like they're starting to round into form. I think that they may have their guy. I mean, that performance McCain put on was special. Uh, to go alongside Kyle Filipowski, who's been up and down this season. Tyrese Proctor has been up and down. That's been Duke's issue. Their star players have been inconsistent all year long. McCain has really been the only guy on the team that you could count on for buckets uh, for the most part. But this was a special performance by him. What would you think about what you saw from Duke? No, just even focusing a little more on McCain. Coming into the season, where did you think McCain ranked on the totem pole of Duke basketball? Because Kyle Filipowski would have been ahead of him. Jeremy Roach probably would have been ahead of him. Proctor. Tyrese Proctor definitely would have been ahead. Mark Mitchell. Stewart, as this high-class guy coming in as a freshman, like was he the fifth, sixth most impressive or most important Duke Blue Devil, and now he's vaulted his way up into where, oh, he could be number one 
quite a bit of the time. Even when they lose, we're all still way more impressed with McCain than we are with other of uh, with other players. You know, so it's been impressive to see what McCain has done. And you mentioned some of the stat lines there. I'll highlight another player here. Jeremy Roach hitting a timely three because it was a seven-point ball game. Florida State hits a three. They're within seven. And then Jeremy Roach hits one to go back up double digits, and that's under five minutes. That's going to be the guy that you look to hit clutch shots because it hasn't really been Proctor. McCain can also be that guy, but it's more on more so on volume. But here's Roach, 17 points, 2 of 4 from the three-point line, got to the free throw line enough, too, to contribute there, and then hits a timely triple at the end of this game. Jeremy Roach is going to be the guy that you rely on quite a bit moving forward as well. And big-time win for them. Florida State, good basketball team. Peter, your thoughts on your other favorite team. What would you think about that? Yeah, John Henson might have awoken something in Jared McCain. I don't know which program it what it was that he was. It might have been the field of 68 where he features quite a bit. But uh, said some comments about the Dukes freshman, and he played phenomenal. And you look back at what he did in the loss at Carolina, he had 20 and 10. Yeah, people were talking about him more so than any other player except for Filipowski and the short man celebration. And, and so, like, when you, when you can do that as a freshman in that environment, like, it's going to give you confidence moving forward. I've said all along that John Shire is going to – they're going to figure it out because he, he knows what he's doing. There's too much talent. They're going to be a team come March that it's they're, you're going to put in the second weekend of the tournament because their ceiling is that high. All right. If you love defensive basketball, the Virginia Wake Forest game was for you. Okay, 49-47, Virginia gets the victory, even though they shot one of 11 from the free throw line, four of 13 from three, but they still beat the Deeks. Cam Hill just missed the shot as time expired. They gave Virginia the win. They've won 20 or more games for the 12th time under Tony Bennett. They are 115-2, including 6-0 this season when limiting foes to fewer than 50 points. In the Tony Bennett era, they had 13 block shots uh, as well. So the Demon Deacons, this was the game I picked them to lose. I just thought with Virginia, uh, you know, getting in there and losing the game this week to snap their home game winning streak to Pitt. And it also broke their eight-game winning streak. I thought that they would be a bunch that would come out and find a way to win. But still, if you're awake, you're right there. Disappointing. Coach Forbes' comments after the game saying he didn't know what that last play was. I didn't either. I'm yelling at the TV saying, Hildred, what are you doing? He wanted the ball to be in Hunter Salas' hands. I would have preferred it be in Salas or Monsanto's hands. So I don't know what happened there. A loss for the D. That's a tough one. Only scoring 47 points. I mean, that is a first-half mark for Wake Forest in a lot of other games because of how gifted they are offensively. And you end the first half with 22. And sometimes, all right, it's a terrible half. We'll bounce back once we come out of the locker room. Nope. Only 25. Losing 49-47 with a chance to get a road win, which I know Virginia's streak had been broken prior to Wake Forest traveling up there to uh, Charlottesville. But even still, that would have been a very big road win, and they can't eke it out. 11-4 and in conference now, Virginia moves. And here's Wake Forest, 8-6. and Yeah, that one was tough. And by the way, like watching Virginia miss every single one of their free throws until the end, when McNeely makes one, just at least make it a two-point game, that was remarkable to see how they were able to win despite going one of 11. I thought that mark was fake. Like, wait, I know they missed a lot, but did they miss all of them except for that McNeely one? Yes, they did. Incredible in such a terrible way. All right, Walker, Mel, Charlotte took out Wichita State 72 
to 61. It's third consecutive wire-to-wire victory uh, this season. What do you think about the 49ers taking care of business as they should have? Lukai Patterson is a guy that they are going to rely on quite a bit also, and I'm so ready for this March 2nd contest against South Florida in Halton Arena to possibly see who is going to be the conference champion. And so I'm ready to see what's going to go on there. And uh, it feels like the 49ers, after that winning streak, it's like, okay, are they just so hot and they're going to fall off a little bit in the second half of the season? Despite a couple of close games, no, this 49ers team is for real, and they continue to prove that no matter the level of competition. All right, South Carolina lost to LSU uh, this weekend. They had a final chance, but Jacoby Wright's three-pointer from the left corner hit off the rim and bounced away, so they lost. Appalachian State outscored uh, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, 32-10 to 10 over the final 14 minutes. They pulled away and got an 85-73 uh, home victory this weekend as well. They're one of nine teams in the country with 22 wins. It's also their 12th Sun Belt win uh, this season, which ties the program record for conference wins in a single season. And shout out, man, to South Carolina's women, uh, a team we don't get to as often, but they're right around here too, just a short drive down the road from here in Charlotte, but they beat Georgia 70-56 to to win its record 43rd straight Southeastern Conference regular season game. They broke a mark from the late great Pat Summit with 42 straight SEC victories from January 1992 through a loss to Georgia nearly four years later. It was also South Carolina's coach Don Staley's 599th career game in a coaching career that many people say she never really wanted to have in the first place, never aspired to. She's got 172 wins in eight seasons at Temple and 427 games in 16 seasons with the Gamecocks. So shout out to them, man. They're out there getting it done, dominating the SEC. I mean, just rolling through everybody. There's (laughs) been a few single-digit wins that they've had, but not very many. Just to put it in perspective, this 70-56 to win they had against Georgia, that's actually on the very low end of how dominant they've been against some of these squads. Same thing with Tennessee, actually, the last time out before this Georgia game they won 66 to 55 but it doesn't matter ranked opponents they're beating you bad uh just sec competition they're gonna win by double digits they're on a mission man they're on a mission after losing a chance to win the title last year 599 career wins for don staley when we come back on the western walker show we're getting back into these positions with the carolina panthers we're talking about the backers on sports radio 92.7 wfnz McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Welcome back to Wesson Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can text us on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. Again, it's 704-570-9610. Let's go back to the Carolina Panthers conversation. We focused a lot offensively because of all of the tantalizing wide receivers that could be out there, whether it be the free agent or trade market. But as we continue the Panthers position preview series, today we're talking a little linebackers, or as Wes said, the backers. The backers. The linebackers on the team. (laughs) Uh, And it feels like they finally found a guy that could carry the torch, at least on some level, for past impressive figures at that spot. Because we know the history. It is the most illustrious history that you have via one position here in Carolina. They paint a pretty picture, right? Dan Morgan, even John Beeson is underrated. We know about Luke Keekley. We know about Sam Mills, who is the guy that you know has us embody the mantra of keep pounding as much as anybody. Linebacker, that is the most historic position out there on the football field for this Panthers team. And Wes, once Luke Keekley retired, unexpectedly, it was Shaq Thompson that ended up being the starting guy. And I've always thought Shaq Thompson was actually underrated just because we always compared him to great linebackers like Thomas Davis mm-hmm. and Luke Keekley. And of course, you're going to be the third most talented linebacker. But because he got drafted in the first round, and then I guess he never became TD or certainly Luke, it was like, okay, well, he's not very good. But that's not the case. I think Shaq Thompson's a good linebacker. I don't think he's great. He'll never be a pro bowler. Up and down. Has better seasons and and wow games. But I think Shaq Thompson is still certainly a useful player. We have to figure out what they're going to do with him. But Frankie Louvu, I think, has become a guy where, oh, okay, like he's actually fringe pro bowler if you look at what he's done Wes, we actually have enough volume on him to go ahead and call him a stud linebacker not top five like not a top 10 not really but man he is great at getting after the passer he is an elite off ball edge rusher as a linebacker he's a very good run stopper if you go to pff he's recorded 62 defensive stops against the run since 2022 that's 12th among linebackers so when you're good against the run and you're amazing elite level at rushing the passer. Yeah, you're not amazing at coverage. He has his limitations there for sure. Mm-hmm. But those other two unique skill sets that he has, man, like that's the reason why he's the number one rated linebacker out there on the free agent market. And he's the guy that felt like we were looking for him. We couldn't get him in Brandon Smith. We couldn't get that guy in Andre Smith. Couldn't get him in Jermaine Carter. You finally found that guy that's real talented to that position in Frankie Luvo. Yeah, that's why I don't necessarily understand that I know that in a 4-3 set that he's an outside guy, and I feel like in a 34 that he should be on the other side of Brian Burns and that other outside linebacker slash edge rusher because, like you said, his strong suit is rushing the passer. And, you know, his PFF grade last season in that department was a 90.1. I mean, that's up there with the best of them, and so I think you need to put him in uh, positions to where he can rush the passer even more because the coverage grade, I mean, it was decent, 64.9, but it's still, you know, not enough for what you're going to want, especially in today's NFL where so many teams spread you out and they find matchups and things of that nature. But I think Frankie Louvre with the production that he's put up the last two seasons, you know, he's proven himself to be a very, very important piece of this Carolina's defense and also an outside linebacker that a lot of teams or also or inside whichever way you want to go, he showed scheme versatility because uh, in the previous season in 2022, 
in that more traditional 4-3 front. He had 111 tackles. He had seven sacks. He had more sacks. He had more tackles for loss at 19. And then this year, in a scheme change, he still gets 10 tackles for loss, gets more tackles, uh, and then gets five and a half sacks. So this is a guy that's proven himself to be able to go to any defensive scheme you want to run and be effective. And I think that's a lot of value in that as well. And so Luvu has certainly positioned himself to cash in on that versatility and that production. You're going to run out of money at some point trying to figure out how to keep Brian Burns. Maybe you move off of him, but I think you have to figure out what you do with Brian Burns before you figure out what you do everywhere else, just because it's so much money tied up in trying to keep him around. And so we'll see what they do. But Frankie is a projected $10 million a year type of guy, somewhere around that number. The problem is, is if every NFL team views him or most NFL teams view him as the best linebacker out there on the free agent market, then you might just have to pay even more than that. And then how much more are we talking? Like, are we getting to a spot where we get 12, 13, 14, just because the next guy's on the list, just for reference, Levante David, but he's 34 years old. Patrick Queen, who is a first round pick in 25, but Patrick Queen is another one. I don't know if that's going to be somebody that um, you're looking to pay more than Frankie. Maybe Jordan Brooks is another name, but he's protected about 4 million like that. These are all top four guys. Bobby Wagner. One year, four million. He's 34 by the time the season starts, too. Frankie Luvu is, I think, unless you're just doing a one-year deal, long said, then Levante David is right there as well. But if you're just looking at age, talent, cost, Frankie, I think, is borderline in a tier by himself as far as most valued linebackers out there. So does that mean somebody else is going to swoop in and try to pay him a lot more where Carolina's got to figure out what they're doing long-term? Because J.C. Horn's contract extension is it's coming up soon. Got to figure out what to do with J.C. Certainly Derek Brown, Brian Burns now. I would like to keep Frankie Luvo as much as possible. But, Wes, I'm really interested to see how these other teams operate with him. Uh, and I think the Panthers have a great shot to be able to keep him. This is a place that he came to and his career has flourished here. I think the Panthers have the money, and I think they're going to prioritize him. You look at his uh, value right now, and he's estimated to be at four years, $45 million, uh, 11.2. Uh, annual salary. I think that's very reasonable for what you get for him. And I think if that's the number it ends up being, then I think he'll be here. And even if it gets a million or two over that, uh, I think you still pay that for what he means to your defense. Um, as I said, he's shown, and I know that Evero, they talked about when he got here, how he likes guys that show versatility, that he's able to do a lot of different things with. And I think that Frankie Luvu has shown the ability to do many different things within this defense. You're also talking about a position that's devoid, uh, especially, you know, when Shaq Thompson comes back from injury. We'll see what he can do, but that's devoid uh, of a lot of playmaking ability at that position. He's your guy. If you let him go out of that front seven, that definitely changes things a lot, especially in the middle of that defense. So I think the Panthers can and will find a way to get it done with Frankie Lulu. All right, so as we break these position previews up in categories, past, present, and future, here we are, maybe a little bit of past and present with Frankie Luvu, what he's done, trying to figure out who can be that next great linebacker in this organization. It feels like Frankie has become that guy. And then as we start to try to figure out, okay, where do we put Shaq Thompson? Is he going to be in the present category, Wes? Or do you think he should be passed? Shaq Thompson, first round pick, restructured his contract a couple times, got injured a couple times too. And he's always been the guy that's been a cut candidate 
does it finally happen this year where they move off of him and Shaq Thompson is no longer a Carolina Panther? Um, oh, that's tough because he means so much to this team emotionally. Uh, I know that he's one of the emotional leaders uh, of this franchise. And so you, if you look at him coming back uh, this season in 2024 on a $3.8 million salary, I think everything that he brings, and he's got a $6.2 million cap hit. I mean, he is a guy that you could get rid of and, and save yourself a little bit of change, but I think everything he brings back to you, and if he comes in, um, you know, and looks close to, if not where he was when he left from a, a player standpoint, I just think that this is a year that you need so much stuff that if you can get a player that can be productive for you uh, at that position and that can save you from really having to worry and prioritize that, then I think you go ahead and do it and let him play his last year uh, here because after 2025, uh, it's pretty much a done deal. So I think at $3.8 million, you bring him back. Yeah, Shaq Thompson, I, I do think – yeah, and we've got some people disagreeing with how good he is. Jack's, Jack called him terrible. Um, Woody from Stanley said Shaq got exposed once Luke and Davis left. He didn't get exposed, man. I mean, Shaq Thompson, this is the problem, though. This is the tough part. Drafted first round, and you're going against guys that could be Hall of Famers. We fully expect Luke Keekley to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The only reason why he wouldn't be is longevity, but we both agree and think he will be a first ballot. Thomas Davis is certainly worth, you know, being in that mention, being in that conversation. And when Shaq goes up against those guys, it's not going to be the same. But I do think he's been good. My question, too, is when we start to figure out this is a need they have, wide receiver, offensive line, maybe secondary or right there next to it, you need an edge rusher. Where does linebacker fall? Like, if you bring back Frankie Louvu then where does the linebacker position fall, even if he is still on the team? Uh, well, you know, your linebacker position now, again, because of your scheme, your edge rusher, so the pass rusher falls into the linebacker category because of the way that the defense is structured. So uh, if you take care of Brian Burns and you get that done, I think that it is imperative that you find another pass rusher to go on that other side. YGM, he was – okay last year but that's not enough that's a depth piece but you need to go and find yourself uh, another outside linebacker and I believe it would be on the right side because Burns plays on the left side with uh, Derek Brown so you need to find a guy on that right right side I mean every vaunted 34 front has two sick outside linebackers we know you know David Tepper he loves the Pittsburgh Steelers way and that's why he wanted that 34 defense to be installed and what did they always have when they were great? Two nasty outside linebackers slash pass rushes. They would get after. I mean, I remember the days of the Kevin Greens and the Greg Lloyds and, uh, you know, all those guys that they had. So, yeah, I think it's pretty important, especially that you find a guy uh, at that right outside linebacker spot. Well, and because of the restructuring, Wolfpack James is actually writing in, too, with Shaq Thompson. His cap hit is 6.2. His dead cap is 8.3. So it's going to cost you money this year to cut him. And we know, although we know Carolina loves pl- uh, paying some dead cap, they've been doing that for quite some time but yes it would make more sense just to keep Shaq Thompson look at him that's right helping us out with some (laughs) with some money on how you might want to spend it at the linebacker spot and so yeah I I do think Frankie Luvu that's the guy that you would want to bring back and if you look just last week ESPN insider Jeremy Fowler said quote the Carolina Panthers are expected to try to resign do it all linebacker Frankie Luvu both sides discussed a potential deal last summer and did not agree but those talks could heat up around the combine it, if you had to rank Luvu 
Burns, and I know that we're talking Derek Brown extension more so than keeping him. Like, do you feel good about them keeping Luvu? I feel like he's going to come back. I don't feel like he's going to get out there to the point where you just let him go somewhere else. It feels like he's going to come back to Carolina. I mean, you know, for his sake, you'd like to be able to get out on the open market just to see what you can fetch because the name of the game is, yeah, there's loyalty to be had to an extent, but we all know that these teams will cut you the minute that you're not the player you once were. So uh, for him, I would imagine he's going to enjoy the process of being pursued by several teams. And uh, we know that they're always going to be a team or two that will be willing to overpay. And so that's the thing for Frankie Louvu. Do you want to take that risk? If Carolina comes with an offer, do you want to go ahead and stay where you are, the comfortability, uh, being where you've been? Or do you want to hit that open market and see what's out there for you? Because we know that we talked about his market value being at $11.2 million. But, you know, if he sits around and goes out there and there are enough teams that need linebacker help, that number could climb 13, 14, 15, 16 million. So we could see. Uh, and if I was him, that's the route that I would want to go. But I do think that uh, he's going to be a prior to the Panthers. And, and I think they're going to take care of him. Yeah. Uh, 704-570-9610 is the FanDuel text line. Feel free to share your opinion. Bagel guy writing in, if Patrick Willis wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer, what makes you think Luke Keekley will be? He was a first ballot, right? Wasn't Patrick Willis uh, first He ballot? was not. Oh, he wasn't. For, he just got in, yeah. right? Okay. So not first ballot. Then maybe that's the thing that keeps Luke Keekley out. I'd be surprised. Yeah. So maybe that's the case. We'll see. But I, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. You get the spirit of the question, Bagel guy okay <laughs> if Shaq Thompson's coming in he's being compared to Luke Keekley and compared to Thomas Davis so we can continue to talk about linebackers just a little bit how much would you want to draft one just feels like they haven't been able to hit on him in the draft specifically because Luvu remember he was with the Jets for a little while mm-hmm. comes over on a free agent deal that is an absolute bargain but they just weren't able to hit on Jermaine Carter in the mid rounds they haven't invested in a lot so Andre Smith also coming in, not able to hit on him. Fitty shaking his head. I imagine that has to do with some North Carolina stuff. What was it Andre Smith did? He guaranteed a victory or he made fun of, was it like the Louisville game that Andre Smith really uh, got on a national spotlight, Fitty? I don't know what he did besides miss tackles left and right. Okay. I don't know how the guy made the NFL. There's something about Andre Smith. He made a comment or something like that. It was probably something about NC State. And then, you know, like some of our best players, we run our mouths and we get our ass kicked. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe that's what happened with Andre. You know, I guess Drake may too. So they just haven't been able to hit on those guys. It was free agency with Frankie Louva, but man, they've been looking for that player for a long time. And a lot of people would tell you Shaq Thompson is a miss. He's not a miss. Maybe he's not the first round guy, but I, I don't know. Like, I still think edge rusher, wide receiver, offensive line, even if you never feel great about that linebacking core, Wes, it still falls some, I mean, pretty far down on the list of needs, in my opinion, compared to everything else that you would like to have help with. Yeah, I agree. But I think if you get down a name to watch, man, and I know he's a local guy, but a name to watch as you get into maybe that fourth, fifth, sixth round territory, Peyton Wilson had a crazy year. But I don't know how much the injuries he had at NC State are going to hurt his stock. But if he's sitting there maybe fourth, fifth round, something like that. I don't think it's going to happen. That could be a guy that you could look at. Based on what I've seen, it looks like everybody else is asking that same question. Hey, why is this guy not a 
projected first round pick? Yeah, it's definitely the injuries. Yeah, no, but and so people will see him just hawking dudes down, being the athlete that he is and being a defensive player of the year candidate like he was last year. I mean, I think second. I think Peyton Wilson goes in the second round. I think, I mean, I'm looking at CBS's NFL draft rankings right now. They have him 81. Um, and so it'll be interesting as we get into workouts, as mm-hmm. we get into all those things. But like, again, how much are the injuries going to hurt him? Because we see guys like that that could slip to that third, fourth, fifth round because of their previous injuries before. Because, I mean, he was a guy, he, he had his share of injuries at NC State. And so I just wonder, if, you know, if he's sitting there fourth round, fifth round, if the Panthers would take a flyer on him. Fitty, you were laughing. Did you find the Andre Smith thing? Yep. He said, quote, uh, on Lamar Jackson visiting Carolina in 2017, quote, he's not going to beat us at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew there was something with Louisville. And yeah, Tar Heel Tony says, yep, he called out Lamar Jackson one week, and then Louisville crushed North Carolina that yeah, same very yeah. week. That's what I remembered him from. And then I, I liked him when they drafted him. I guess I didn't watch enough North Carolina football, according to Fitty, but he didn't do anything. (laughs) He didn't do anything. So bad. Yeah. All right. So no more calling out Lamar Jackson, and it didn't work out for him in the NFL. All right. That'll do it for the position uh, position preview, talking about the linebackers. We'll take a quick break, and let's go back to some NBA discussion. There was a Charlotte Hornets fan poll, and you might be surprised to see who was the favorite Charlotte Hornet of all time, according to a fan poll on the Charlotte Observer. We'll get to it on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. No, folks, you are not in the jungle. But this is the Weston Walker Show on a Monday. We're trying to make the most of it for you. We know some of y'all out there get the Mondays, myself included. But we're going to try to make your Monday all the more better. So let's jump back into some Charlotte Hornets conversation. Rob Boone put out an article in The Observer. Hornets fans' thoughts on the state of the franchise. And so, you know, you read through different things. There are lots of different topics in there about the ownership, how they feel about it, different players, uh, how they feel about this. And so it it was very thorough, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good read. And then I got down to which player is your favorite Hornet of all time. And they said that they got hundreds of responses from readers that that, that sent them uh, their responses. And I guess they kind of just put everything together and then came up with a consensus or a majority but when they asked which player is your favorite Hornet of all time, 
the answer surprised me, and I'll be interested to hear what you guys think about this too, and you guys out there in text land. But Kimba Walker's popularity hasn't waned very much since his final days wearing the uniform in 2019, he said. Said that he edged LaMelo Ball and Muggsy Bogues, blowing away the iconic players of the 90s like Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson. Said Walker still holds a warm place in many hearts in the Carolinas. And so, you know, I found that to be pretty surprising. And even the fact that Alonzo and Larry finished in such uh, a distant fashion. And then you had LaMelo Ball and Muggsy Bogues were the two that finished behind Kimba. And no question about it, Kimba was excellent while he was here. Didn't play on the greatest of teams and put up crazy numbers. But I knew the Charlotte fans loved him, but I didn't know that the love ran that deep. Does that surprise you, Walker, that he was the winner by a landslide, apparently? No, I'm not surprised at all because I, this is what I think we became accustomed to when Kimba was here in Charlotte. And I know most people had Charlotte as their second favorite team nationally because of the color scheme, because those were fun teams. They had the novelty that was Muggsy Bogues, literally the shortest player in NBA history, playing alongside Zoe and LJ which was a fun tandem to have Muggsy Bogues throw to. That. Like, that's a fun basketball team, but also, we're old, Wes. That was 30 years ago. It's 30 years ago, man. Yeah. And so, if you're asking a fan base that is still watching the Charlotte Hornets right now, Kimball Walker is the guy that kept the lights on over there at Spectrum Center. It, he's the guy that led them to a 2015-16 playoff appearance with the help of others and what was the best team they've had in the second iteration of this franchise. But Kemba was still the lead dog. I accomplished some pretty impressive stuff. Four-time All-Star, three-time All-Star with the Hornets. Made that All-NBA squad. It's the only time a player outside of Al Jefferson made an All-NBA team the second iteration of this franchise. So Kemba, the fact that his years here, his prime years here, weren't even, you know, 10 years ago. They weren't they weren't even that long ago. And the other guys you got to go back to are early 90s when they played. Plus, Zoe only played here three years. LJ left in what was a tough situation. Only played five, and then he goes and he splits the exact time with the New York Knicks. He played five years here in Charlotte, five years with the New York Knicks. LaMelo would be somebody that just because of his grasp with the young generation, maybe that would have been somebody that could have been the most popular, but I'm not surprised at all to see Kimba be this way. And you can text us as well. 704-570-9610. Are you surprised? And who is your favorite Hornet of all time? Yeah. And I mean, when you go back and look at the accolades, it does make sense. No question. And I knew that he was a monster. It just feels like Charlotte is a city, especially with the Hornets, that all of the nostalgia is attached to LJ, Muggsy, Larry, Dale Curry. And so I I thought that one of those guys would have been one of the all-time Hornets, uh, and I'm surprised that he beat them by so much. But what did you, you had something on the text line? Well, yeah, we're getting a lot of answers here. Yeah. Like, you know, even Crown Club writes in, Scotty writes in, both of us placed Kimba as our favorite because he gave his heart and soul to this city, and unlike most of our former stars, he identifies as a Hornets fan. See, that's a great point. Think about that. Zoe doesn't identify as a Hornet, and that's frustrating. Yeah. Because and, and I get it. He played for the Heat for a long time, but gets to go to Miami, has success with that franchise, and so he identifies as a Hornet. Notice how much love we're giving to all the former players these days. Never LJ. LJ, we don't have the honoring of him because Larry Johnson still didn't have a great relationship with this franchise, and that's unfortunate. Now, Muggsy could be that answer. I wouldn't be as surprised if Muggsy was here just because 
he is a true ambassador to the city. Same thing with Del Curry. But the other part about that is those guys are kind of cannibalizing votes from one another. It, it wasn't just one guy with those teams. It's pretty much one guy for a while here with Kimba. I mean, he's even on basketball reference. You also have the good guy part of this where Kimba was like a top five personality, just good human in the NBA. He's a two-time sportsmanship award winner in the NBA. Yeah. I, that's, I, well, we like good guys. Fiddy is saying, oh my God. Sorry, we like good guys too. Like it's easy to like them. And if we're asking, are we surprised on who the best Hornet is or the most favorite Hornet is of all time? Like if you're a good dude and you care about the fan base and you identify with Charlotte, something that this fan base identifies with themselves, then he is going to have that relationship with the fan base to where he's the favorite. Yeah, King McQueen uh, checking in on the text line, the fan duel text line, and he said Kemba is a very down-to-earth dude. He's chopped it up with him a couple times, very gracious with his time with the kids and the community, and he did do a lot in the community, and a lot of people uh, – did like him, and he seemed like he was a very nice guy. I never had the pleasure uh, of meeting him. Ronda Plummer says Alonzo Mourning still hangs uh, around Charlotte. I know it's happened more recently with him. Like he's, There have been some acknowledgement of his Charlotte days more so. They've gotten him for quotes and interviews and stuff. And then Colin checks in, Colin Hoggard, uh, on the text line. Oh, yeah. He says 605 games for Kemba is the biggest difference in addition to the recency. Because for me, I mean... You know, I'm a Larry Johnson guy through and through. Nobody will ever surpass uh, Larry Johnson in my eyes for the Hornets as far as my favorite, personal favorite uh, player. But when we look at the guys that are on this roster now, we saw LaMelo finish uh, second to him. And then Brandon Miller, I think with the way that he's starting out, he seems like he's going to be a guy that's going to be one of those ones. Do we think that either one of them could be that guy? at the end of the day and become an all-time favorite Hornet of these fans and surpass what Kimba's done here? They have the talent to do it. There's no question about that. The fact that LaMelo Ball is an all-star his second year in the NBA, that's why I I did an episode on Lockdown Hornets talking about how the injuries, while frustrating because this team can't win without LaMelo, it's also frustrating that he misses out on some important accolades because he's injury-prone. We didn't get to see him get to an all-star game last year, even have a shot because he only played 36 games. We're not, we didn't see him have a shot at an all-star game here because he's injured again. So you think about it. That's two years after already recording an all-star appearance. That's two years back to back where you don't even have a shot to get an all-star appearance. Right. And we measure greatness on some of that. I mean, I just went to Kemba's all-star appearances. Like most people would to tell you what he's accomplished with this franchise. LaMelo on losing teams, Injury prone, hadn't gone to an all-star game, doesn't have that shot because he's hurt. That's going to go against you, at least in the early going. But he's here. He signed a $200 million long-term extension. And so there's still going to be that kind of time because he's that good. Brandon, as a second overall pick, having this much love from the national NBA fan base, paying attention to the young players and seeing where they could end up, Brandon has that kind of talent too. It, the thing about the Charlotte Hornets and like ranking them, in all-time Hornets lore, Kimba reaching as many all-star games as he did with that all-NBA appearance, it was easy to be number one once you had this many years played for the franchise. Like, he played from 2011-2012 to 2018-19. LJ played five. Zoe played three. Baron Davis was here a few seasons. And then, what do they do? They go up and leave to New Orleans. The longevity was the hardest thing to record as a sensational player. Like, we did the Bob Bass thing. Anthony Mason, sick, here for a couple years. 
Glenn Rice, that three-year stretch with the Hornets was the most impressive offensive stretch in Hornets history, and I don't even think it's that close. Like, usually when people say that, it's, oh, okay, you're exaggerating. No, nah, man, that three-year stretch from Glenn Rice was bananas. It was ridiculous. But he's only here three years. So once Kimball Walker gives you the longevity on top of the success, I get wholeheartedly why he's the best compared to a lot of people and the most favorite. Who is your favorite Charlotte Hornet of all time? I don't uh, think we've ever discussed that. No, my so Glenn Rice is the one I didn't grow up watching, but like he's the guy I most enjoy going back and seeing highlights and stuff of. Mm-hmm. Glenn Rice is fun. I'll tell you who I loved as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. Gerald Wallace. That was right. <laughs> Love Baron Davis. Loved Eddie Jones for the one year he was here. That was at the heyday of my Hornets fandom. Gerald Wallace is probably my favorite most and and had my favorite for the longest stretch just because of where I was in my life. Like once the Bobcats came back, it was so bad. And then Gerald comes back. Gerald Wallace was that guy. I also loved Al Jefferson, man. I freaking loved Al Jefferson. And so I'd probably say those two. If I had to choose just one, Gerald Wallace is the guy I spent the most amount of time cheering for in my Hornets fandom. Who is uh, Fiddy and then JD's favorite Hornets of all time? Do they each have a different guy? No, yeah, he doesn't exist. Go uh, ahead you and know, clown something. Go Fiddy, ahead. Fiddy's favorite Hornet of all time would probably be probably be Kemba because I, I, I never wanted him to leave the city. JD's favorite Hornet of all time, PJ Harrison. Yeah, PJ was a bad man. My my favorite thing about PJ is the year they made the playoffs, he started like 40 games. Yeah. But it was in the first half, and then they traded him, and then they went on this winning streak in the second. But that was that was shocking to me. Going back and seeing some of those stats, the playoff team that gets to a seven-game series against the Heat, PJ Hurston was starting half the league. It was crazy. And then, of course, they move on from him, though, and then that's when they start winning. Like, that's the important part, Fiddy. Yeah. Fiddy's favorite Hornet, by the way, Miss uh, DJ Augustine. Oh, that's true. Yeah. DJ. Yeah, I know you loved him as well. Wait, so you went back. You just said it was Kimba. Yeah, I I, I forgot my love affair with DJ Augustine. Man. A he weird gave, one. He gave me hope that I could play in the NBA. Small guard <laughs> that could shoot from the outside. <laughs> All right, folks, when we come back, you're going to hear from JD or Fiddy, whichever one he chooses to be, during the live wire. We're going to connect right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.